Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. here at Coast Vineyard. My name is Jacinda. I'm just a whole lot less famous than the dark-headed version. <laughs> you guys are way too kind. <laughs> but, uh, sorry? Oh, oh, that's a controversial thing to say. But I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. She's got a tough job. Uh, but uh, before I jump into my message, I just want to uh, make one other announcement. It's actually for all of our young adults, anyone, school age, uh, school leavers, through to anyone up to probably up to 30. If you're young at heart and you're still, you know, 29. We are at 50-something, so you're bound to at 29. But um, I'm gathering, inviting you to gather in my home tonight. Um, I feel like God's up to some things with our young adults I've been having a number of different conversations with people. Matt and I have been praying for you as a part of our community for quite some time that God would do really quite wonderful things, and we're hearing great stuff back. So before I leave to go on sabbatical uh, next week, I just want to take the chance to have you all over, BYO dinner, because I don't know who's coming, and I can't feed you all. Um, But what we want to do is just take a snapshot of what is God up to now, what's in our hearts for going forward, and, uh, and how do we begin to step into some of that. So if you would love to be part of that conversation, we, I would really love to have you there. So um, consider this your invitation. Please come. Just please bring the food. Otherwise, we're going to be having hungry people, which would be horrible. All righty. Here we go. You good? Great. Well, listen, we started a new series last week called Life in the Vine, and Stanley did a wonderful job of just sort of painting this big picture for us based on the words of Jesus found in uh, the book of John, chapter 15, about what our lives can be like when we are really connected in with him. And he calls us to this beautiful, rich, fruitful life where we're connected to him and we're connected to one another. And he uses this picture of a vineyard to do that. How apt. Isn't that good? We can lean into our name in beautiful ways. Jesus invites us into this life of connectivity that allows us to live with purpose, to live with delight, with security, and with flourishing. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me. Yeah, I've got a few nods in the room. Good. I'm not alone. So this week, we're just going to unpack that a little bit further, and we're going to look at how we can create that kind of life that he's talking about with real intention. Uh, And that enables us to be able to remain in Jesus. Abiding in him is like the word that's used in scripture. What it means is to us to remain in him. And it's how do we live into that? How we live in alignment with those deepest desires that he places within our hearts for connection with him and with one another. Let's just take a quick look and revisit uh, John chapter 15 and particularly in verse 4. So remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I love the way the message translate that, and it says it this way, live in me. Make your home in me, just as I do in you. 
And in the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. And when we think about it, Stanley had that great picture last week of his vine. It is, isn't it? One vine or multiple? One. That takes over his back fence at home. And, uh, and we know from even our limited knowledge of gardening, in my case, some of you are expert gardeners, that nothing will actually flourish. No plant will flourish if it's disconnected from the main part of the plant, right? It's just going to wither up and die. It's the same thing for us. We've been created in such a way that we are designed for connection and to be remaining, to live in, to make our home in God. I think so. I think so. And it's both an invitation, but it's also a challenge because it's not quite so simple sometimes as we try to work that out. How do we actually live that way? Where do we start? Is it even something that I can do or is it only for those super spiritual types? Well, Jesus seems to invite us all into this. And we know that he is faithful and true and wants the best for us in all things. And so we can trust that this is for me. It's for you. It's for each one of us to take a hold of. Now, if you're anything like me, and most people I think are, and that if we want to do something, we like a plan. Like if we build a house, we have a plan. If we want to start a business, we make a plan. Uh, if we want to get fit, we go and get a personal trainer or join the gym and we make a plan. Now, we do that for our careers. We do that for our health and our fitness. We do that if we're starting businesses or churches or small groups even. Uh, we come up with a plan. We start with this vision of like what something could be. And then we figure out how we're going to get there, Right? Oftentimes, when it comes to our, our journey of faith our, and wanting to see spiritual um, transformation in our lives, we don't always have a plan. Often we kind of hope that we will grow up. We hope that transformation will happen. We try to squeeze our spiritual lives around all the other things that are in our lives, of which there are many, right? We are all juggling a lot of balls all the time. But what that means is, is it's all a little bit haphazard. And it results often in us starting with like, woohoo, I'm in this thing. Yay, I've said yes to Jesus. This is so exciting. Absolutely right. But without a plan, where we sort of muddle through and don't really have any intent or, or you know, like deliberate way of actually leaning and stepping into that over time, what I've found is that people, including myself at different times, get discouraged. We kind of feel like we've missed it or we've made a mistake or, I don't know, just kind of all feels too hard. And so people give up. They walk away from their faith. They lose the excitement that they had at the beginning. Now, it's a little bit like, you know, falling in love. I'm thinking about this a little bit lately because my husband's away. He's on sabbatical. I joined him in about eight or nine days and I can't wait. But when we fell in love, you know, it's like I couldn't get enough of being around him. It's like, you know, I thought about him all the time. It was just that sense of excitement. It's not that I don't feel excited anymore. And I do think about him a lot. 
But you know, it, it changes. The dynamic changes. I think even after you've been dating someone for six months, it just sort of slow, the intensity changes. It doesn't mean that we don't love anymore. It just, you know, calms down a little. It's like unsustainable to live at that pitch for the whole of our lives. But it's a, in a similar way, it's a little bit like that with us and God. You know, when we first come into a relationship with him, like we're so in awe of the fact that he would love me that he would see past all of the stuff that would get in the way and love me, that all I can do is respond out of this love and this passion that I have for him. But as I kind of get distracted, as I muddle through, as I feel like maybe sometimes I'm just missing it, I'm just not a good enough Christian, that then that wanes. And so I want to try today to unpack some of what Jesus was inviting us into and that whole thing of us being connected with him so that we can live lives, we can have a plan, we can have some intention to be able to actually pursue this for the whole of our lives. What I want for myself, what I want for us as a church is for us to become resilient disciples that we would cultivate lives of faith that will weather everything that comes at us through lives so that by the time we are old and wrinkly and have a whole lot of gray hair and we have all these stories of life and faith and what God has been doing and just the wonder of it all, that we would have had faith that has been able to take us there. So that's what we're trying to lean into today. Sound good? Cool. I thought you'd like it. So I think we instinctively know that faith isn't just something that we know or that we have, it's something that we do, okay? And this is what we, you know, we want to unpack a little bit. Paul said to the church in Galatia, he wrote a letter to them, we find it in the book of Galatians, and he says this, since this is the kind of life that we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we don't just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts but we work out its implications in every detail of our lives. We work it out. And that's going to take intent and decision. It's worked out in the rhythms and the patterns and the practices of our lives, day by day by day. This uh, beautiful quote by Dorothy Bass, who wrote a book called Practicing Our Faith. She says this, We long to see our lives whole, to know that they matter. We wonder whether our many activities might ever come together in a way that is good for ourselves and for others. Lacking a vision of a life-giving way of life, we turn from one task to another, doing as well as we can, but increasingly uncertain about what doing things well would look like. We yearn for a deeper understanding of how to order human life in accord with what is true and good. Jesus leads us to believe that we can live a cohesive, integrated, rich and fruitful life in him. So let's look at how we can work that out. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you that you know the way. For each one of us, you know where we come from, we know where we are, you know where we are right now in relationship with you, what the season of life is that we're in, the things that we wrestle with, the things that we aspire to, the things that we dream of, Lord. And you also know what's ahead. You know what you've created us for. 
You know what our relationship with you, each of us individually, can be. And so, Lord, I pray that even as we listen, as we speak, as we see different things this morning, God, that you would be advancing that within us. That you would plant a seed of a vision of what it is we could have with you within each one of us. And make us hungry for it, I pray. Capture our hearts anew this morning with your love for us. And the invitation that you extend. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's start with the end in mind. So for all of us, regardless of where we are in our journey of faith, we're going to revisit this over and over in the lifetime of our faith. It isn't that we want to just tick a whole lot of religious tick boxes. You know, like, you know, if I tick off these certain things, I am a good Christian. It doesn't exist, even though we create those in our head. Um, it kind of, I quite like ticking things off on a to-do list, so it can feel quite good. I know. I know. I'm, I'm in good company up here. Um, however, that is not what this is about. This is about us noticing and responding to the activity of God in our lives every day. It's about relationship. It's about catching God's heart and his vision for what life in him could be like. So we want to we wanna actually ask him, Lord, you know, for each one of us, even as you're sitting here this morning or if you're watching online, is to actually stop and just in a moment just ask him. Ask him for his vision for you and him. What is your vision of a life lived with God? Is it intimate? Is it life-giving? Is it mutual? There's give and take. There's conversation. Is it increasingly solid and resilient? Is it for every day and not just on Sundays or for special occasions? Like if we actually stopped this week, this afternoon, and asked him that question, he would show us. And I'd encourage you to, to take the time and actually start to write down what is it that he captures your heart with in terms of how you would describe a relationship with him. What do you long for? What has he given you a vision for, for your life with him? Start with the end in mind. That's what's going to keep pulling us forward. Because we're not always going to figure this out. As we're working it out, it's not like linear, onward and upward. I used to think it was. When I was young, I was naive. It's just not. It feels like it would be so much simpler that way, but life just isn't. So we need to catch this vision of what, you know, what God has in mind for us. He did that for me when I was in my early 20s. I came to faith when I was in my early teens, and then some stuff happened, and I bailed on God and church and faith for a number of years, and things got pretty messy pretty fast. And then he showed me how he saw me and what my life could be. I've been running after him and after that ever since. Start with the end in mind. And then look back before we walk forward. You know, we are not working this out alone. We are walking in the footsteps of our church mothers and fathers. They have set examples for us, and they have left us treasures that we can discover and practice for ourselves within our context and in our culture and in our time. 
There are rhythms of life and patterns and practices that are going to serve us well as we learn to walk with God and grow in remaining and abiding in him. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah, the prophet says this, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. It takes humility to ask with an open heart and mind. It takes humility to ask. It takes wisdom to choose to learn from others, both the ones that have gone before us as well as the ones who are in this room and in this community of faith. We're going to discover that just like us, our church mothers and fathers didn't have it all worked out perfectly. Hooray, there's hope for us all. I take great encouragement from that. That I can fail. You know, I cannot have it all worked out. That I can try again. Like, that's such good news for, like, a mortal such as myself. You know, we're going to need to learn how to practice discernment as we sift through things. You know, one of the things I loved when I came into the vineyard is we were encouraged to think to take the chicken and throw away the bones, to actually do the work of listening well, of learning from others, and be able to discern what is good and right and true and run with it, and to set aside the things that are unhelpful. As we grow in our faith, that is a skill we need to develop. All of us will need to do that. And we're going to notice that as we do this, that while our relationship with Jesus is personal, it is not private. If we look at everyone who has lived their life well in faith, they have all done it in the company of others. They have all linked up. This is part of that vine image as well. We are not just connected to Jesus there. We are connected to one another. He has put us in relationship with each other for a reason because we cannot do this on our own. We're going to need to learn from each other. We can discern together. We pick each other up when we don't get it right, when we make mistakes. Honestly, when I first came back to faith in my 20s, I felt like I took one step forward and like two steps back for a long time. Sometimes just facing the right direction felt like a win. We need to be there for each other as we're working that out. So we can practice this stuff together as we work it out together. And so one of the practices that I want to introduce to you today uh, is, is, uh, has been around for centuries. It's actually the early church mothers and fathers that developed that, and it will help us today to be able to abide in Jesus in our day-to-day. Ruth Haley Barton, in her book, Sacred Rhythms, says this, Christian tradition has a name for the structure that enables us to say yes to the process of spiritual transformation day in and day out. It is called a rule of life. A rule of life seeks to respond to two questions. Who do I want to be and how do I want to live? Actually, it might be more accurate to say that a rule of life seeks to address the interplay between these two questions. How do I want to live so I can be who I want to be? That's where the vision of God comes in. He captures us with an idea of who we could be. And then we need to work out how we live in such a way to help that actually happen. 
We do it with intent. A rule of life helps us to make our home in Jesus day by day, through our days. Now, if you, I mean, Matt, Matt, uh, he's like, oh my gosh, just don't use the word rule. Freaks people out. There was a day in the history of the church when they weren't quite so afraid of words like rule and discipline. Those were the words that they used. If it gets in the way, think of a rhythm, a rhythm of life, a pattern of life. Think about a trellis that supports growth. One of the voices that is uh, really helpful in our contemporary context that's kind of bringing this to life in a lot of different places right now is John Mark Comer. He's, uh, I, a number of you know that I've recommended his book, uh, or books, he's written a bunch, but I thought he does such a great job of uh, introducing this whole idea of a rule of life in such a way that hopefully any of those kind of negative reactions that might <gasps> rule oh, um, will settle that down. So uh, why don't we take a look at a video and we'll see what John says about that. Yeah, rule of life is ancient language. It's not modern. So modern Western people, unless if you're Catholic, where that language is used more, it's really strange and a little bit alien sounding. And so the first thing you have to point out is it's a rule of life, singular, not rules for life, plural. So it's not like you make a list of rules for your life. It's a rule. It comes from this ancient Latin word, regula, which many scholars estimate was the word used for a trellis in a vineyard. It was like that under kind of wooden support structure that made space for the vine to grow. And early followers of Jesus used Jesus' metaphor from John 15 about abide in the vine and bear much fruit, which is really, it's my favorite teaching of all of Jesus' teachings. And I really think it is the center point of spiritual formation and spiritual life. Like if we can figure out how to abide or to remain or how to live in God's presence all through the day, then the natural byproduct is we will just start to bear the fruit, so to speak, in that agrarian analogy of love and joy and peace and all the rest. But if you think about a vine, for a vine to grow well, it needs a trellis. Otherwise, it will bear a fraction of the fruit that it's capable of, and it will be vulnerable to wild animals or to disease. And we're no different as followers of Jesus. To bear the maximum amount of fruit out of our life and our body, we need some kind of a rule of life or a trellis or a support structure to make space for us to remain in Jesus and remain from a place of restful, joyful prayer and bear fruit. And so I would just define a rule of life as a schedule and a set of practices and relational rhythms that make space for abiding and really allow us to live in alignment with our deepest desires. And how you make one is pretty straightforward. I mean, you can get really ninja and complex about it, but you have to start with your vision of the life that you want to live, in particular for us as followers of Jesus, with a life in the kingdom of God. And what would it, what would it look like for us to grow and mature into people of love? And so you start with like your vision and your values, and then you back up. And it's basically just habit stacking. Like what are habits from the way of Jesus or spiritual disciplines or whatever you want to call them, we call them practices, that would shape a life around abiding and prayer and rest and work and kingdom and all the things that God has for you. And then it's as simple as that. You kind of write up a rule. And it's, a rule of life is always a moving target. It will change year over year as you change, as you move to different places in your spiritual formation, as you move to different stages of life. It will be very different for a single person to a married person to little kids to teenage kids to empty nester to death. I mean, all of these stages will be very different. So you have to constantly renegotiate it. And it's always a means to an end. Like a rule, the point of a rule of life is not to have a rule of life. It's to become a person of abiding and of love and of joy and of peace.
All good? Doesn't sound as scary now, eh? The early church fathers and mothers knew that how we live shapes our lives. It shapes who we become. And so as people who are following Jesus, we want to be really intentional about that. And it's about creating space. So um, what I want to do is actually, oh, I'm going to talk about some good books at the end. That's one of them. So if you like good books and you want to unpack this a bit more, take a photo. Um, but uh, we'll unpack some of the areas of life for us to consider. If we were thinking that actually this whole abiding in Jesus, this idea of learning how to live in him and with him every day sounds really good to me, these would be some of the areas of your life that you might want to start thinking about. First of all, one, abiding. And ways that help us to just be with Jesus, to remain in him through the day, is uh, some examples of that. So, so these things I've taken all from a, an organization, a website that I will share with you so that you have time to be able to go and unpack that at your leisure. And uh, they actually have a workbook that makes it to help you to create a rule of life if that's what you would want to do. Um, and for me, I've, like, I've literally just printed it out. I'm going to take it away on my sabbatical when I go away because we're in a change of season in life with our kids getting older and you know, that whole thing. And so it seems like a good time to sort of revisit what are my rhythms of life? What are, how do I want to do my days? What is the pattern that I want to live into? And so this workbook has got some great questions to consider as well as examples of the kinds of things that may be helpful to actually weave in to our schedules. So I'm just going to tackle the seven areas and then give you a couple of examples for each one. And as I do that, can I ask you to notice? Notice what you notice. Notice what catches your attention as I do this. And trust that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and grabbing you and saying, this could be good for you. Please don't try and do like a gazillion all at once, but there'll be maybe one or two that really seem to resonate with you. Grab it. And then I'll talk to you a little bit more about what you can do with that later. So that first one is abiding. It's, it's that whole thing. One of the things that helps us to do that is to start our day in prayer. Not reach for your phone the minute you wake up, but actually reach for time with God before your day starts. Start in prayer. Start in quiet. Hopefully, you know, your phone's in a whole other room. If This, this is going to impact our digital use, all of us. And so um, isn't it ironic that last year in March, I preached a message about like a whole lot of how do we do manage our digital world as people of faith and then COVID. <laughs> and we were like reliant on these devices in ways we'd never been before. But, but the point is still the same. We are still going to need to look at our digital use and what that means for us because it does intrude into our life with God, for sure, and we want to navigate that well. You can go back and listen to the message back on the um, website from March last year. But anyway, we can start our day with daily prayer, first thing. The other thing I mentioned the other week that I feel like God's been speaking to me about loads in this last couple of years, and I'm going to use sabbatical as a time to try to figure out actually how do I live this, is a weekly Sabbath. Is a 24-hour period of just resting in God and, and with my family and in myself. And church on Sunday. This is a non-negotiable. It has been for me for ever since I came back to faith. This is like, as one of my daughters said to me recently, she's like, this is the anchor point of my week, is church on Sunday. 
It was us being together, the gathered family. And I have to work out my faith the whole of the rest of the time, you know, at home and as I do work and all those sorts of things. But for all of us, this is, this is an important place. God calls us together. Anyway, that helps with abiding. Second thing is our mind. Um, this is going to be where we disengage from our phones. Uh, on a daily, weekly, and annual basis, get away from our screens because they intrude and take up so much of our lives now uh, that we set a time limit on entertainment, perhaps, that, uh, that we have an, an, and that we develop like a, an, a baseline of like how good does what I have to see needs to be, like in terms of its content, that we have an expectation of the moral quality of what we're actually filling ourselves up on, whether it's films, whether it's gaming, whether it's stuff that just though that we fall down the rabbit hole on YouTube or whatever it is. And that we commit also maybe to a regular intake of what is good and true and right and lovely and we fix our eyes on those things, our hearts on those things. And that could be reading a really great book once a month or listening to uh, a fantastic podcast that gets us thinking and really chewing things over or however it is, you know, Bible study or something that actually is filling us with truth. Our bodies, we are, we are bodily spiritual beings. Our bodies matter. Jesus inhabited a body, so we want to look after this well. So that means we're going to exercise, we're going to eat well, we're going to take care of the body that God has given us. We're going to get enough sleep. Some of us may not get enough sleep, but they say that we need at least seven hours. Personally, I think I need more than that um, to function more, but, uh, but, but for each one of us, that you know, this is actually something for us to think about, how we look after our bodies our relationships, that we commit maybe to a weekly meal with someone in our community or our family, that we have regular touch points with if we're married with our spouse, if we're not married with a friend, that we, we make the intent. I don't know about you, but like I can go like a whole week and not have talked to friends or my mum and dad who live down the country or, you know, like, but, and it's like, oh my gosh, I've got to remember to do this. So it's like this can actually be part of a rhythm that we create, a relational rhythm that helps us with our family, with our close friends, with our wider community that we intentionally lean into relationship with one another. Rest is super important. That morning quiet time, that moment of calm, to be with him, that then we enter our day from that place. Sleeping good. Sabbath is part of that whole thing of rest. We are creatures created with limits. We don't like limits very much. Our culture almost would tell us just to blast through every limit that there is to our detriment. Our limits are there for a reason. Our weakness helps us to experience God's strength. Rest. Work and money Work and money matter. We've been created to create, to be productive. And so part of our rhythm might be that we have several hours every day that we do our deep work, our focused work, our most important work without distraction. I'm not sure how you, I'm just looking over here and there's a teacher and right, right in my line of vision, Ben, I don't know how you do that without distraction in a classroom. Good luck to you. <laughs> But, but, you know, that we bring ourselves to our work with the sense of this is what God's made me great at. I'm going to do it well. 
that we're going to cultivate the ability to give our money away, our stuff away. You know, we're called to this pattern of giving throughout Scripture. You know, whether that's 10% or for some of us, we've never, ever tithed. We've never given away our money and 10% might completely freak you out. Like, how can I give away 10% of my money? Start with one or two. Start there and see how God makes the rest stretch. He just does. We've done it whether we've earned a lot or not, and we've always just had enough. I'd invite you to give it a go. And in our giving, Scripture is pretty clear that we're to prioritize our giving with special attention to the church and to the poor. That's why we take up that compassion offering. As well as just the general running of the church, we want to make sure that we are reaching out and doing all that we can to look after the poor within our community, whether that's, and poverty is like a whole multifaceted thing. But, but God, if you look through scripture in terms of his heart for the poor, we are called as the church to go after them, to love them, and we need them. Anyway, that's another whole thing. And then finally, gospel and hospitality. What if we committed once, I don't know, how, a couple of weeks for dinner to invite someone into our home, someone we know that doesn't know Jesus yet? <gasps> Do we know any of those people? They might be family or friends. There is this incredible power around a table and around a shared meal where we are able to extend the love and hospitality of Jesus to people, that they would get to experience that and encounter that for themselves. You know, I was at a friend's birthday party last night, and I was so heartened to hear them talking about, just as they are navigating within their own families, about how do we do hospitality? You know, Pinterest kind of has set the bar really high on like the meals we're supposed to provide, or like how gorgeous the table setting should be, and all of this. It's like, lower the bar, guys. Like, if it's going to stop us from feeling like we can open up our homes and our lives and our hearts to the people around us, we have to lower that bar. Do a, I don't know, spaghetti bolognese is good. Barbecue, yeah, like grazing platters. Order in. Order in. Takeaways. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But, but let's be hospitable. And as we do it, let's do it with intent. Let's not just make room for it, but also have conversations about Jesus as we're there. Just sharing our stories, listening to the stories of the people that we've invited to be with us. That is such a powerful thing. So that's seven areas of life that we can be considering and looking at in terms of how do I make room and create rhythms within those areas of my life that are going to help me remain open to the presence and transformational power of the Holy Spirit through my days. And it'll grow and develop. How much time do I have? Not much. A couple of thoughts, just as we're wrapping up on this. If you're anything like moi, I hear these things, I get very excited, and I try and do it all. Because it's like, this is so good. I just want to do it all, and I can't. And then I crash and burn and think, oh my gosh, it's all too hard. And so then it's like, you pick yourself back up again. Okay, learn from my mistakes, and just do one or two things. Lower the bar. Just start with one or two things. That's why I'm saying notice the word or the phrase or the theme that catches your attention today. Trust the Holy Spirit is in that. Start there. And just weave one or two practices into your schedule this week. See how it goes. And then maybe you can add more later. 
That's the thing about rules of life. They're flexible. They're not a rule. They're not like rules to follow. They are like guidelines, this trellis. There has to be flexibility to it. It has to be able to accommodate our personalities. What's going to work for Shirley is going to be different from me as it will from Stanley. Like, we're all different people. We're going to express this in different ways. We're going to find our rhythms in different ways. And we're all in different seasons of life. That impacts how this works. Seasons of life, stages of faith. If we're new to faith, we're not going to try and do the stuff that someone who's been following Jesus for 30 years is going to do. It's going to look different. And that's the beauty of a rule of life, is that it can flex and fit us. And so that takes me on to the next thing, which is we want to review this regularly, at least every six months, or if you have a major life change. Those are really important times for us to reevaluate what is helping me. Because the question is always, what is helping me to abide and rest and be with Jesus? What is helping me to become more like Jesus? And what is helping me to do the things that Jesus did? So we want to regularly revisit that, to ask those questions as we go, and then have the freedom to adapt and flex and try something else. There are some baseline practices that are good for us all to do. And as you explore this and some of the um, resources I'm going to give you shortly, you'll be able to look at what those are. But really, we want to have freedom. This should feel like freedom, not slavery. It should feel like patterns, not padlocks. As soon as it starts to feel like that, there's something gone squirrely. So rethink it. And that is where the benefit of doing it alongside of other people helps us because we can talk about that with one another as we journey together in this. Remember that it was Jesus that said, learn the unforced rhythms of grace, because he doesn't lay anything heavy and ill-fitting on us. As soon as it starts feeling heavy, and like I should, and you're feeling like you're getting beaten up with this thing, that is not God. He doesn't do it that way. We, we do. Uh, we have an enemy, he does. This should feel like freedom. Margaret Gunter, who is a spiritual director, I love her work, she says this, a good rule can set us free to be our true and best selves. It is a working document, a kind of spiritual budget, not carved in stone, but subject to regular review and revision. It should support us, not constrict us. Let's fight for that. And I think another thing is just start with where we are, not where we aren't, and do what you can and not what you can't. You could riff that, couldn't you? I won't, but you could. We often try to start somewhere where we think we should be, not with where we actually are. God has no problem with where you actually are. It's where he meets us. And we all have limitations and, you know, things that we're juggling, you know, as we learn how to practice this. So we just do with what we can. And that expands. That's the amazing thing is it grows. Our capacity for this grows. He'll take care of that. And we do it together. I'm going to pop some resources up here as well. 
practicingtheway.org and pattern.org.uk, they are really helpful websites that have actually developed this. There's more teaching stuff there. There's um, examples of what rules of life can look like. Um, there's the workbook on practicing the way that actually helps take you through all of that, gives you a framework to think about that. that is, it's not like you have to do it that way. It's just a way. It's a starting point. And for many of us, this is kind of new territory for us. And so that's just that's what I was trying to do. And then a couple of books that are super accessible, easy to read, um, but also super helpful. This one is done by the Venn Foundation here. They're based in Auckland, The Hare and the Tortoise, uh, Learning to Pace Ourselves in a World Gone Mad. And there's stuff in here about uh, a rule of life, but also about some of the practices. That's the thing with all of these. There is more teaching and understanding that can come around what practices can we engage in? How do we do that? And then the other one is Sacred Rhythms that I mentioned already. Um, and that has a whole bunch of stuff around some of those practices as well and uh, suggestions and ways that we can weave these into our lives and into our patterns and rhythms for life. I read this out of this book uh, and it captured my heart really that, and I wonder if it might express yours. I don't know about you, but I yearn for the freedom and beauty of a life that is completely oriented to the reality of God. I long to experience my soul hidden and content in the very depths of God so that what is seen on the surface is transformed and energized by what takes place in those depths. The choice to orient our life to God's transforming presence is always ours. Sacred rhythms just help us to say yes to this desire day by day by day. That sounds good to me. It sounds like a life I want to live. It's certainly, and you know, and that I would want my friends to live. I think that's the invitation of God to us. Can I invite the worship team up? So this morning, this is what I want to call you to. This is what Jesus called us to. He continues to call us to. This life of intention, this life of abiding, of remaining, resting in him. And even as we have our part to play, you know, where we get to choose how we live, what we do with our time, the rhythms we create. I know that some of our rhythms are forced upon us, like we have to go to work certain days of the week. We have school schedules that create a rhythm for us in terms of our days and our years. Our lectures, you know, they, our lecturers, well, actually, no, you can do them online any old time now, can't you? <laughs> but there's still an expectation around, you know, we've got we've to do some stuff that kind of compresses. But we also have a lot of freedom with the rest of our days. You know, we do all have discretionary time and energy, and, and we all have to f figure out what we're going to do with that. So there's our part to play, but there's also the part that only God can do. And that is where he captures our hearts and our imaginations with a vision of what life in him could be like. So why don't we stand? Would you join me as I pray? And let's just, you know, if, if any of this has kind of captured you, resonated with you, stuck with you, just close your eyes 
and let's make space in this moment for us to be attentive to what God may want to say and do in us today. What is the one thing that you've heard that God is speaking to you about? you for your presence here with us. We thank you for the way that you transform us from the inside out. We thank you for this invitation for a life lived with Jesus, in Jesus. And Jesus, we ask that you would show us the how. What is your invitation? To each one of us. I pray now that you would come and that you would whisper in the ear and in the heart of each one of us here. Well, thanks again for tuning in to today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you're keen to find out more about us as a church whānau, you're welcome to go to coast.org.nz or of course we'd love to meet you in person. We meet at 10am at Aurewa College on the beautiful Hibiscus Coast and you're more than welcome. Be blessed and have a great day.